Um, all right, so today uh, Andrew Sharp is preaching on the text on Acts chapter 23 and the whole chapter. So I have a lot of respect for Meg Pescucci right now because she did a fin- fantastic job on all those names. Give me some grace on these. <laughs> all right. All right, so this is Acts chapter 23. Um, and I, when I finish, I'm going to say this is the word of God, and you guys say thanks be to Christ. <clears throat> all right. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed walls. Are you sitting and judge, Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of, your, of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, it is, uh, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with re- respect to the hope and resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And then he, he had sa- and when he had said this, a, dis- a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no angel, nor, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees partly stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them, away from among them, by force, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of this ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune, and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring you this young man, as he said, as he has something to say to you. The, the tribune took him by the hand, and going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely of him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they, are, now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one of what you have infor- that you have informed me of these things. Then he called to the two centurions and said to them, 
Get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him to safety and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lycia to His Excellency the Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed when I came upon them with soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he is, was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to the council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving of death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there, was, there would be a plot against this man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the last day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on, go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will, I will give you a hearing when your accusers have arrived. He commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. This is the word of God. I'm very grateful for Shayla taking that entire passage. Um, I'm thinking the next time I preach, I'm going to have someone read the entire Old Testament. Just... <laughs> Um, um, I'm Andrew Sharp, by the way. I'm an elder here. It's uh, my great privilege to preach every now and again. And uh, when Pastor Matt asked me to preach on, on Acts 23, and I read through it, it's, this is just chaos from beginning to end. It, it, Paul is, is constantly in peril. I mean, just... And, and Paul seems to make it worse most of the time. And, but, you know, you sort of dig into this when you, when you have that assignment. And um, there's just so much going on here, I, I, I want to share it. Um, I have to set the scene a little bit before we get to these events. Um, last August, I preached on, I think it was Acts 21, um, I'm not sure which passage, but Paul was addre uh, addressing the church at Ephesus, and this was his sort of farewell to them, because he knew he had to go to Jerusalem, he felt called to Jerusalem, and it was, it, it was a very emotional address to them, he clearly was having trouble letting go, um, and he knew he would never be back to see that church. So after that, he leaves, he's on the way to Jerusalem. He encounters a prophet named Agabus who foretells trouble. What Ab Agabus does is he takes Paul's belt, ties his own hands and feet, and says, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem. Which kind of begs two questions. One, was it kind of off-putting for someone to snatch Paul's belt? And second, how big a belt was it that he was able to tie both hands and feet? It just, it's, it's hard to picture that. Um, 
So he, he prophesies this experience in Jerusalem, and Paul's friends are quite upset to, to hear about this. And Paul kind of reassures them, says, and this just sounds like it's in a New York accent, I know, but he says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That must have been reassuring to his friends. Um, But he goes on, he goes to Jerusalem, he gives his testimony in the temple. There are Jews from Asia that think Paul is defying the temple by bringing in Gentiles. So there's this whole tumult in the temple. Paul has to be rescued by the Romans They take him into custody. Paul tells them that he's actually a Jew from Tarsus, not an Egyptian, which I think the Asian Jews thought he was. And he begs the Romans to let him go talk to the crowd again. And the Romans are like, sure, what could happen? Go talk to them. And so Paul goes and continues giving his testimony, and the mob goes crazy once again. The Romans grab him, but this time they prepare to flog him. It's called examination by flogging. Um, It seems like cross-examination is a more civilized way to do it, but the Romans had their ways. So they've strung him up. They're ready to flog him. And I I just, Paul, it doesn't say at the last minute he says this, but Paul says, oh, I'm a Roman citizen. Did I mention that? You know, and I just picture the guy winding up ready to, to begin the flogging. It's like, fine. Cut him down, because it would have been illegal to flog him, especially without a trial, uh, if he was a Roman citizen. So, he's taken back into custody, and then the Roman commander orders the Sanhedrin to meet I don't know how often the Romans would order the Sanhedrin to meet. The Sanhedrin was the council of the high priests and the elders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. It was basically the leaders of the Jewish people. Um, And I guess the Romans had that authority, but it still seems odd for them to, to order that. So they bring Paul before the Sanhedrin, and that's where the events of Acts 23 begin. We start by learning that Paul is staring at them intently. So Paul's ready to, you know, have at it with the Sanhedrin. And that's pretty much what happens. Um, One of the interesting dynamics of this is Paul was a Pharisee, and there were surely people on the council that had been his peers back when he was a Pharisee, which was 20 years earlier. Maybe some of the people on the Sanhedrin were still his, you know, his former mentors. So there's a, a familiarity there, but it's been a while, and the Sanhedrin's not real thrilled with him. The first thing that Paul says is that he's lived in good conscience for 20 years. 
actually doesn't say 20 years, but he says he's lived in good conscience. And you may think, hold it. Paul, aren't you the same guy who was persecuting the most zealous persecutor of the early Christian church? Weren't you there when like Stephen was being stoned to death and you were just, and that is true. But Paul is referring to his 20 years since his conversion. So he's saying, um, I've been blameless, lived in good conscience, whereupon Ananias, the high priest, orders that he be struck in the mouth, basically to shut him up. And Paul then goes off on Ananias. He calls him, he says, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you, and you're sitting here to judge me according to the law, yet according to the contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. And the people around Paul are like, um, Paul, you're talking to the high priest. And Paul immediately kind of backs down, says, oh, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest, uh, for it's written, you, sh- you should not speak ill of the high priest. And you have to wonder, how was Paul not aware that he was addressing the high priest? And there are a couple of theories on that. One is that this was a hastily assembled uh, meeting of the Sanhedrin. So maybe Ananias wasn't in his gear. Maybe he wasn't sitting in the seat of the high priest. And there's also the possibility that Paul's eyesight was really bad. Because elsewhere in scripture, in in one of his letters, he says, see how I write to you with large letters, suggesting that his eyesight was, was bad. So somehow he is initially unaware that he's saying this to the high priest. And he kind of apologizes. Um, But he's saying God will strike you down. Now, is Paul prophesying there? Or is he just sort of reacting in anger? He is kind of foretelling Ananias' fate. Um, Ananias, not the best high priest ever. He had been appointed by Herod Agrippa II in A.D. 47. He was one of the most corrupt men to serve in the position of the high priest. He stole tithes from priests, let them to sometimes starve. He seemed to care more about his Roman overlords than he did about the Jews. And some years after this, not that many years after the events of Acts 23, the Jews rebelled against the Romans and burned down Ananias' house. That was like the first thing they did was they went and burned down Ananias' house and they chased him down and killed him as he was cowering in the aqueduct of Herod's palace. So it doesn't end well for Ananias. Um... And Paul seems to be prophesying that. He's ordered to be struck. The blow apparently is never delivered because very quickly Paul decides to pretty cynically um, incite the crowd against itself. He 
proclaims, where is my text? Sorry. Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It's with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. Now, if there was one divisive issue between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, is that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the spirit or angels or anything like that. And the Pharisees did. And this was basically like if he said, what do you all think about the border wall? Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals. Talk about that and people just go nuts. And, or, or insert whatever divisive issue of today that you want. Um, and it, it doesn't just spark an argument. It's like a violent, um, a violent exchange. And, you know, it's, you sort of think, how, how does it escalate that quickly? Um, I mean, it seemed like everyone was sort of against Paul, and then all of a sudden they're against each other. But, you know, and it, it made me sort of think of, sometimes you see footage of, the legislatures of f- some foreign governments where people are throwing shoes and getting real violent, and you think, oh, that's not in the United States. We're much more civilized, but um, I don't know if you saw footage this week of uh, a pretty violent fistfight at a seven-year-old's Little League game because of a call. Um, so things escalate. So it gets so violent that for the third time, the Romans have to drag Paul out of there bodily because the text says uh, they were afraid he was going to be torn to pieces. So Paul is back in protective custody. And you have to think he's pretty discouraged at that point. His testimony does not seem to have been received well anywhere. Um, Yes, he got out of this hearing with the Sanhedrin, but at what cost? There was this, you know, violent uproar. He doesn't probably see a way out of this. You have Ananias, who's sort of controlling his fate. And it's at that point that the Lord appears to Paul and says, Take courage. You've testified just as you've testified in Jerusalem. You're going to testify about me in Rome. And I assume Paul was reassured by that because God was saying, you're making out out of this alive. But still, how is that possibly going to happen? And then we hear about this plot, this plot to kill Paul by this gang of 40, who make an oath to neither eat nor drink till they've killed him. That was an oath people made from time to time then. And this group goes to the chief priests and elders and say, this is our oath. Bring Paul down for another hearing, or the pretext of a hearing, and while you're bringing him down, we'll kill him. And we're not told what the reaction is of the priests and elders, but Paul finds out about it. How on earth does he learn about it? 
from his nephew. We don't even know the nephew's name. And you might wonder, well, how, do, how does his nephew know about this? And the best, the best theory, perhaps, is that um, Paul, having been in a line of priests in his family, this nephew was following him and the others into the priesthood. So he was enough in the loop to hear about this plan. And the nephew goes and sees Paul in prison. And, you know, you sort of think about modern prisons, and it's like, don't they have security? He can just waltz in and talk to Paul anytime he wants. Well, the answer was yes. Family members had ready access to prisoners because, for the most part, that was how prisoners got fed. And if you didn't have family, you probably didn't get a lot of food in prison. So the nephew comes in, tells Paul. Paul tells the nephew, uh, well, he calls a guard over and says, take this guy to the tribune and have him tell this story. Goes to the tribune. The nephew tells the story. Tribune says, don't tell anybody else. And at about 9, 9.30 in the evening, they get a small army to escort Paul out of there. Now, I, y- this text of Acts 23 is, is not in your bulletin, but here's how many people are going to escort Paul out of there. The tribune says to centurions, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen and mounts for Paul to ride and bring him to Felix the governor. So there are over 470 people to get Paul out of there. The gang of 40 is not going to take on 270 Roman soldiers. And we're not told that there's any kind of conflict on the way out. And you may wonder, hey, what happened to those 40 who said they wouldn't eat or drink until Paul was dead? Um, in that culture, you could get out of an oath if it was physically impossible to fulfill the oath, which it was, so they probably went back to eating and drinking. Paul gets sent to Felix the governor. I think it's about 40 miles outside of Jerusalem. So it's a fair distance. Um, And the Roman official writes this letter to Felix. And it just sounds like this obsequious letter, like, you know, in a Disney movie, there's always somebody who's kind of tries to ingratiate themselves into someone more powerful. And it's like, Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor, Felix, greetings. And he tells this story, and the, the letter omits a couple of important details. One, that the Romans did arrest Paul, and were about to flog him. But why mention that? It's just going to make the uh, Claudius Lysias look bad. So, Paul gets safely to Felix the governor, the first thing that Felix does is try to 
pass Paul on to somebody else. So, and that's what he's doing when he's asking, well, what province are you from? Thinking if he's not sort of in my jurisdiction, then I don't have to deal with this thing with the people coming and accusing him. Uh, but Paul's from Cilicia. He, he is definitely Felix's uh, problem. And he is then housed in Herod's Praetorium, which was the governor's residence uh, at the time. And that's where Acts 23 ends. It is a crazy chapter. And th there's almost so much going on that you think, you know, what, what are our takeaways from that? How, how, it, is it hard to relate to, to all that happening? And I think the first important takeaway is that God's purposes are not thwarted. They're not going to be thwarted. Not by our own mistakes, not by the hostility of others. What we see here and throughout Acts, but really encapsulated in this chapter, is the powerful inevitability of the gospel. The powerful inevitability of the growth of the early church. When we look back on those events, that should be enormously encouraging to us. Because we're, we're in a culture that's increasingly secular and it doesn't seem like the world around us embraces the gospel except in, in places. But it should be very comforting to be able to look back on what was happening with the early church and see, see that inevitability, that unstoppable force that was the gospel. Paul is in peril from mobs on three occasions and from an assassi assassination plot on another occasion. He doesn't save himself. He didn't uncover the plot. He didn't save himself any more than we can save ourselves in an eternal sense or a spiritual sense. Paul lived another seven years after this. This happens in, in 57 AD and uh, Paul died around 64 AD. And during that time, Paul, um, although he was imprisoned virtually the whole time in one way or another, he was a great resource to the church at Rome. And he continued to build that church and to advance the gospel. A second important lesson, I think, from Acts 23 is one that we see throughout Scripture, which is, despite our flaws, our imperfections, often profound flaws, God is willing and does work through us. Even when we're oblivious to it. 
which is most of the time, I would say. We are God's instrument of peace, compassion, instruction, and love. I can't believe Paul thought he handled his time in Jerusalem all that well. He may have thought he was being faithful, but when one crowd after another is turning against him, how could he help but second-guess himself? You know, maybe if I presented that a little differently, they wouldn't try to kill me. And I think with, with us, it's really no different. I can prepare a sermon and have almost no idea if it's any good. I mean, usually I'll send it to Matt and he'll say, oh yeah, that's good and I'll feel good because he said that. But um, in isolation, you know, it's hard to know. I mean, am, am I being profound enough? Am I being relatable enough? Am I being funny enough? Um... it's very hard to tell. I think for that and in so many other circumstances, you just have to kind of get out of your own head and not think about that. God did not tell Paul, by the way, you're going to find out about this plot and that's going to be your ticket out of there. And it's interesting to think that if these 40 hadn't plotted to kill Paul, what would have happened? Was God using that? Looks like he was. So where does, where does the courage come from? God says take courage. Because God is with us, we take courage. Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. It's the same God, the same God who who delivered Paul from this hornet's nest that's with us when we have our difficulties and issues and challenges. Here's what I would like you to reflect on now, today, this week. Think about a time that someone told you that you made a difference in their lives. In something you said, something you did, something that you didn't think was a big deal at the time. Maybe you encouraged someone. Maybe you comforted someone. Maybe you just listened. And maybe while you were listening, you were thinking, I have no idea what to say to this person. But that's not what they thought. They thought, wow, this person's just listening to me. That's amazing. Maybe you did a task for someone that you didn't think was a big deal because it was easy for you, but it meant the world to them. If you've participated in our build and repair program, you've had that experience. Think of something that you did imperfectly that was still received as something amazing. Maybe it was how you raised your children. Nobody does that perfectly. 
we're all painfully aware of our worst moments. When we lost our temper, when we said something unkind, just blurted it out. Or maybe just we weren't present in a way that we wanted to be. Maybe it was how you cared for an elderly parent. And you thought it was really frustrating at the time. And you're just running out of patience. But you did it and they felt really cared for. You've had those experiences. I I dare say you've had many of them. So I would invite you to reflect on that and think about those occasions. Because we're not perfect. But God does amazing things from some pretty imperfect people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we read through the crazy events of Acts 23, we're reminded that you are unstoppable. And that as imperfect as we are, you can use us mightily in ways that we might not even be aware And we're humbled to think that we have a role in your kingdom. We are grateful that there is an inevitability to the gospel. Help us to remember that. Give us strength in all the areas we need it. Amen.